welcome to episode 7 of Ironcast. My name is Paul Hamilton. With me is my lovely wife and co-host, Nikki. Say hello, Nikki. Hello. So, this is a actually a short interval between podcasts, and yet a lot has happened because we recorded the last one on time, we just didn't get it out on time. So, it's going to seem like we we just talked to everybody, and yet... We have so much more to talk about. We had a very busy week. Indeed we did. So, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the highlight of your week. <laughs> the highlight of my week only? Well, one of us has to say the highlight was something else. Otherwise, we're just horrible parents already. Oh, I see. Well, put it this way. It was a, a an highlight? A highlight? I don't know. <laughs> one of the highlights. <laughs> was the Monday night's Coldplay concert. I don't I'm not even really sure where to begin because the the fact that we went at all was kind of uh, amusing considering I had just been talking about wanting or actually I was more lamenting that there hadn't been a one last concert before Calliope got here. I don't even I, it was like only a month ago, right? Not even a month. I mean literally like a week before we were asked if we wanted the tickets. Just been saying, yeah, it would have been nice to have gotten to one more show before, you know, we had a baby that we had to find babysitters for, and, it, you know, makes it just so much more difficult. I think I laughed and said, I don't think that I could go to a concert at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it wasn't, you know, it was all pie in the sky, so it was, you know, it wouldn't matter anyway, you know, trying to, I think you were trying to make me feel better. We had a friend who had some tickets, and I, I'm not exactly, I don't remember what the the problem was but she wasn't able to use them and she couldn't find anybody that could use the full set so she offered them to you and we had to talk it over <laughs> a little bit because um, I was excited about going but uh, you know I mean you're eight and a half months pregnant so there was some logistics that needed to be verified that it was going to be okay because well it was at the shoreline so there's a bit of a hike from the parking lot to the actual venue. Right, and they have like these little shuttle buses, but there's not really a schedule, there's not really a pickup point. It's just kind of like if you see it run, then maybe <laughs> you can catch it and maybe if you do catch it there'll be room on it, but you know, I mean that's not really I'm not running. <laughs> yeah, it's not really going to work out for you specifically. <laughs> But I, I, you, you seemed fairly game as long as you had some provisions. Like if you, if you got wiped out, if you got burned, that we could just go. And you know, since it wasn't something we were paying for, I didn't really feel like I was going to be missing out on some value or something if we had to leave in the middle. It was helpful too that we had never heard of either of the opening acts, so we didn't feel particularly obligated to be there in time to see them. So it cut down on the amount of time we were actually at the concert, which True. was helpful. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, the timing of it worked out such that the concert itself started. I think the opening acts went on as I was getting off of work, mm -hmm. so we, you know, I would have had to take some time off if we really wanted to see the opening bands anyway. So it was, it just kind of worked out that probably by the time we got some dinner and then got there, we'd just be able to see Coldplay, who is what we were really there to see anyway. And I, I don't know really how it happened because you don't work far from the shoreline but we ended up still getting there pretty much as Coldplay was getting on stage and they didn't take the stage until nine well there was you know 
a bunch of traffic because everybody else had the same idea as us thinking, ah, who cares about these opening <laughs> bands? We're just going to get there, you know, around the time that Coldplay is going on. And there's always a line to get into or out of the parking lot, right. which is, I mean, you know, even getting down Shoreline Boulevard and then up to the freebie parking area is kind of a quest. But like you said, it's, it's a hike to get to the place and, so we ended up parking pretty much as far away as you possibly could, considering <laughs> how late we got there. And you're very pregnant, and we had to walk probably the whole way. And I had some, some friends that were telling me before we left, like, you have got to drop her off at the front and go park and then meet her there. And, and I kept trying to convince you that that was the way to go. And you were like, no, no, it'll be fine. You know, I don't want to stand around and wait for half an hour, 45 minutes while you <laughs> get the parking space and you know, and then come back up and, and, and meet me. It was kind of slow going because, you know, I mean, you had to take yeah. your time because that was a long walk for, it was a long walk for me and I'm not carrying, you know, f- <laughs> practically full-term baby or, <laughs> you know, anything. We tried to catch the shuttle, but, you know, I talked to the sketchy looking parking lot attendant and he was like, oh yeah, it's getting pretty close to the concert time now. And so they're just kind of, making rounds whenever they feel like it and they'll they'll stop and pick you up if you like jump in front of them pretty much it was like <laughs> whatever it was we just kind of gradually made our way up there and it took us probably at least a half an hour if not 45 minutes just to walk across the parking lot so between everything we got there just as they were getting us we hadn't eaten yet either we had sort of intended to grab something from one of the the vendors which was the worst concert food ever. Or maybe concert food's just always gross and I just don't know because I don't typically get a meal there. Yeah, I don't I don't think I mean Shoreline has got some, you know, concession stands and stuff. I don't think concerts unless they're those long festival type things that go on sort of all day. They're never really a place that you get a lot of food at, I don't think. It's not really you know what I mean it's not really like a, a ball game where you go and you know, you pick up a, a hot dog and it's sort of known for being worthwhile. Right. You kind of plan to eat a, a sporting event because you expect the food to be good. It's and part it's of the edible. experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. So This was not. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very good, but we needed to eat something because we hadn't eaten since lunch and it was getting pretty late. So we we finally got past the surly concession stand lady. And got our gross hot dog and questionable cheeseburger <laughs> back to the picnic area just as Coldplay took the stage. So we watched the first couple numbers kind of on the little monitors they have set up around the place. You know, it it didn't really feel like it was that big of a deal to me because I'm so used to I've been to Shoreline a bunch of times, but every time I go, it's on the lawn. and it, It's way in the back. It's general admission area and... You know, you kind of watch the show on the screens because that's the only thing you could see. You're so far away. I didn't really think I was missing anything. And then we, so we, we, well, we kind of wolfed on our food and then we start going over there. And, you know, we get down to the lower reserve area and there's this whole barricaded area and they check our tickets. And then we walk down to the little entryway that actually gets you into the where the seats are and they check our tickets again. <laughs> and they point us down toward the front of the, the amphitheater. So we walked down a bunch of steps and there's another lady standing there and she wants to see our tickets and she points down even further and <laughs> we're kind of looking at each other every row we step down, <laughs> every set that we go, we're like, are we really this close? Are you kidding me? You know? And then we get to a, the last lady and she's maybe blocking the last 
10 or so rows and she's like yeah you got a couple more to go and so we get our tickets (laughs) checked four times just to get to our seats which just says how incredible these seats were and we walk up and my eyes are just like dinner plates because i'm like yeah these people they look like human size they're incredibly close and they had this little uh stage extension that kind of went out and actually took up some of the the very lower seats so that he could you know the the band members could walk up and get a little bit deeper into the crowd and those were what do we count like eight rows down from us i don't even know if there were that many it was pretty close because what do we say our seats were back from the actual stage if you didn't count the platform 12 rows 12 rows so i think maybe six rows at the most was between us and the platform yeah, so when they're out on this the stage extension thing, you, you, you kind of feel like you could reach out and, and grab them. They're a little bit further away than that, but it, it was very much right there in the thick of it. And You could see the sweat on him. Yeah, it was... It was and then the other kind of nice thing I thought for, for you especially was that since we weren't dead center in the amphitheater, we were off to the stage left, there was uh, the, the screen that was up alongside and parallel with this the stage was right there so Mm -hmm. like if you looked straight ahead as we as our seats were oriented you could see the stage and that was right in front of you and you looked a little bit to the right and you could see the big screen so for a lot of the concerts since you couldn't really be on your feet you were able to sit down and just sort of look off to the side and get a really nice view of the at least the the taped version of the events yeah i mean it was disappointing to not be able to see everything standing up but i mean it didn't take very many songs before my back was just yeah. not having it anymore. And I was like, that's okay. I'll be the only person in this entire section sitting down. Well, but unfortunately nobody was really, I mean, I don't think anybody around you was judging you for no. needing to sit down. <laughs> you think? But I mean, you were pretty much a trooper though too. Cause you know, you stood up for a few of the, the bigger set numbers, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're definitely, it seemed to me like at least you were enjoying yourself, even if your you know, body wasn't necessarily cooperating the way that it would have been <laughs> a few months ago. And Oh yeah, it was definitely, it was a very enjoyable concert, Damn. which was a big thing for me because I wasn't even a Coldplay fan. You know, I mean, I, I think it was, you know, one of those things where it's not too difficult to talk you into going and seeing a live show just because you're a fan of live music, even if you're not that excited about them. But there's been more than a few bands that, You've been able to, you haven't been that big a fan of their recordings, and then you've seen them live, and you're, you know, you get a new appreciation for them. And I've done the same thing too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it seemed like you came away from the concert feeling like you were a, a bigger Coldplay fan than you had been going in. Well, it definitely made me want to listen to the CDs that you have of their music now, mm-hmm. just because I, I did enjoy it so much, and I thought they put on a great performance, and I just thought they were very. As weird as it sounds, down-to-earth and unpretentious band, they seemed like they were kind of amazed that they were even on stage yeah. playing for that big group of people that wanted to hear their songs. Yeah, for, for a huge, you know, internationally famous band, they, they have a very, you know, relatable quality to them, to, at least to their stage presence. I guess it's mm-hmm. impossible to know uh, what they're like in real life. Maybe they're just complete arrogant jerks or something. They, they they certainly had an air to them about being very humble and uh, and appreciative of the the support they were getting from the fans, 
And they did some very cool things during the show. They they had a couple of little mini stages set up that were farther actually behind us. I and mean, you could tell how close you are when, you know, when the band does like their little <laughs> getting deeper into the crowd thing. They actually move past you. <laughs> so yeah, they, now we had to watch the screen to see them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they did that a couple of times. And the one that they did that was almost in the very edge of the lawn that was a little bit later on in the show. It was like a very stripped down acoustic little set that they did at one point they they kind of stop for a minute and they chatter amongst themselves and then all of a sudden they start playing this sort of almost familiar tune and then well they... he he said before he started the song he said this is a song that we're going to perform that is better than any song we could ever write oh that's right so we knew that it wasn't their song right away and i recognized it immediately and i turned to you and i was like oh do you know what that is and you were like no <laughs> yeah i couldn't i couldn't pick it up but then as soon as he started singing it was it was pretty clear that it was uh michael jackson's billy jean which honestly i i don't i think that michael jackson and there's been way too much hype about him and and everything and the hoopla has been way overblown considering you know, some of the, the weirdness of the, the character that he became, sort of. But it, it's hard to deny that at least early in the career, he, you know, he had some pretty amazing songs and albums that he was able to, to put together. And I, I thought it was probably the most appropriate and uh, enjoyable sort of tribute that I had seen anybody actually do. Because, you know, they didn't make a big fuss about it. It wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. like they were trying to deify somebody that was kind of maybe not worth that, you know, other than it was just, you know, their artistic merits could stand on their own. And I thought that was what they, they tried to do is just say, look, this, this is a really great song that was written by somebody that's no longer with us. And we're going to try and do justice to it. And, and the song was incredible. The acoustic. It was a great, great version of it. Yeah. So, and, and I've actually, I looked on uh, YouTube and they've got, they've got some, because I tried to record it on my cell phone, and it didn't really... You can sort of hear it when you play it back on the phone, but you, I tried to transfer it so that I could post it on Facebook or something, and it, it wasn't working. It just got too muddy when it got file the format converted. But I did find it on YouTube, and uh, hopefully at some point somebody will get like a nice high-quality audio file of it floating around somewhere, because I'd really like to have a copy of that. That was very cool. That would be very cool to have. And uh, you know, they did some fun things. They didn't really do, you know, like the pyro. That was the other thing you were a little bit worried about was them setting off mm -hmm. explosions and doing Because they just did a, like a really nice uh, light show. It wasn't too, like you said, they were very unpretentious. So it wasn't too much. Didn't like overwhelm you with, you know, too much going on. But they did some fun things. At one point uh, they had, you know, during yellow, they had these big, yellow balloons that were bouncing around in the audience and uh they that had... part made me a little nervous but <laughs> it well, was okay <laughs> the music was loud enough that even though a few of them popped you couldn't really hear it and i guess one did pop in the microphone it was a little bit loud but hopefully it wasn't too bad for it no it was okay and then they did another number where they had a bunch of little paper mache uh butterflies that they fired out of these kind of like they would do with a uh, fake snow in some performances I think we've seen before mm -hmm. and uh it just looked really cool they're all multicolored, and the music was going and they had the lights shining behind them and these little fluttering uh butterfly things falling all over the, the audience and so since we were so close they were all over us and every, yeah. all of our stuff and everywhere and that was really cool no I guess the only only disappointment 
of the whole thing was that the my favorite Coldplay song was one of the ones they played in the acoustic strip down set that was way in the back. So they weren't even as good of the seats as we had. This my favorite song that they and they actually played it. I didn't get to take advantage of our great seats in order to watch them play that song. Yeah. And the same thing happened with your favorite song, which was uh, Talk. They did it on the other mini stage that they did, which was a little bit a little bit behind us directly. But the other thing they also did is uh, a different version of it. It kind of like... Self- but only a portion of it. It yeah. wasn't even like the whole song. Well, I, I think they did the whole song, but what they did was they had a, an extended intro that was blended with an outro from the song that they played before it. Oh. And, and I think they they kind of bled it into the first verse a little bit mm-hmm. and it took a while to pick up on it because they sort of self remixed it because it was a stripped down stage. They didn't have a full drum kit up there. So they had a, an electronic kit for the drummer to play. And so it kind of sounded like the techno remix of talk, you know, it was a little bit faster because, you know, they were trying to do this different thing with it. And I think that was kind of disappointing to you because it, going in, I mean, that was your song from them, right? And mm-hmm. and then they kind of fiddled with it a little bit, which is I guess can be a bummer if you're really looking forward to hearing a particular song a, you know, the quote-unquote right way. Yeah. And that's the one they decided to mess around with. I guess that could be sort of frustrating. But at least the rest of what they did was good enough to sort of you know, bring you into the camp a little bit. And you were even saying today that you'd definitely see them again. So they must have done something right. Yeah, I would see him without a question again. Well, I feel like they're talking in a language I don't speak. And they're talking it to me. So it's been an awful busy week when it comes to stuff related to and centered around uh the pregnancy and the impending delivery and Calliope's development and everything. Where to begin? Oh, uh, why don't we start with the birthing class that we took since it was <laughs> it happened first in the week. True. So this was last Saturday. And yeah. it started early. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, early for a Saturday for us. I guess it was. Let's not... be clear. Early for any day of the week for me. Okay. And I know people are going to mock me because they're going to say, if you think you can sleep in that late once you have a baby, you can't. And I get this. <laughs> but that's why I'm doing it now. Right. So it started at nine. It was supposed to be six hours. Although I got I to gotta tell you, it didn't have to be that long. I, I appreciate why they did as many breaks as they did because it was a room full of pregnant women. It, it they could have cut it in half easily. Yeah. So it was six hours from nine till three. And there was an hour lunch break in the middle, and every hour we broke for what was supposed to be, I think, 10 minutes. But it seemed like it, when they were done waiting for everybody to leave and answering questions at the end of the segments, and then getting everybody back in and sat down, it was more like 15 minutes. So, If not 20. I mean, it, it got like stretched. Two and a half of these six hours were breaks, pretty much. Which should have been, you know a sign that there's not enough material (laughs) to fill up a six-hour class, but whatever. Although I guess they did go all the way up until three, so maybe it's a a three-and-a-half-hour class that requires two-and-a-half hours worth of breaks interspersed (laughs) throughout. 
add together equals six hours or something i'm not sure did did you did you feel like it was worth it i mean it's tough because on one hand i'm glad we took the class i think if we hadn't i would have felt like we were missing out on something or going in blind but i also felt like a lot of the stuff that she covered one or both of us were already aware of either through books we've read or stuff we've researched ourselves online we've you know watched documentaries prior to ever being pregnant about the birth process because we saw the business of being born right. so i felt like we had a lot of information about the way hospitals do things and well even just anecdotes from friends that had given birth you know even recently and stuff like that had i think covered a lot of the stuff that they talked about in the class so yeah. it, it did feel a lot of re- a repetition was was happening just in terms of our own knowledge. Um, And it it was kind of frustrating too, that, you know, anything that we didn't know that we tried to ask the teacher about, she didn't really have the answers to. So, well, there's this frustrating thing that I'm discovering about healthcare professionals in general, which is there seems to be this buck passing thing when it comes to specifically answering questions that occurs where it's like, you talk to, um, you know, somebody who's supposed to be like the, just the information desk, you know, and you're like, okay, I've got this problem. And they say, oh, to answer that question, you need to go down the hall and talk to these people. So you go down the hall and talk to those people and they say, uh, yeah, well, in order to answer that question, what we're going to have to do is send you in to see the uh, attendant or whatever. And so then you talk to the attendant, you ask them the question, you're like, uh, yeah, that's really going to have to be the doctor. So the doctor comes in and you ask them the question like, ah, uh, yeah, well, here's some basic information, but what you really want to do is talk to the specialist. So then you finally get to the specialist and you ask them the question and they're like, well, yeah, we're really going to have to ask the lab. Then the lab results come back and they tell you, uh, yeah, it's nothing to worry about. But they don't <laughs> actually tell you what the answer is, which is what you were trying to get in the first place. And that's kind of how a lot of this feels. Like we went on the hospital tour we asked them a bunch of questions and said, oh, all this is covered in the birthing class. So we get to the birthing class and we ask those same questions. And it was like, oh, well, yeah, most of this is going to be answered by your OB. So we also had an OB appointment. We asked some of the same questions to her. And she goes, yeah, that's really something more that they'll be able to tell you in labor and delivery. And it's like, is anybody ever going to actually answer this question? Because I'm thinking at this point, no. Yeah. I keep expecting almost somebody at some point down the chain to be like, oh, well, you should have gotten that information from the tour guide. <laughs> so I, I don't know, maybe it wasn't super useful. I did, I did find that some of the stuff that they were talking about for the, the partner, the whatever coach, the husband, basically, was kind of useful. You know, some of the stuff that they suggested that you could do to, to be of assistance. Because, I mean, there's a big kind of question mark. is like, what is my point really going to be during a lot of this delivery stuff, you know, and especially the labor? Because I don't want you to be uh, miserable or uncomfortable. But to a certain extent, there's not much I can really do about that. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of nice to hear some some very specific suggestions about stuff that I could do that would, you know. I mean, there, the amount of help it's going to be is kind of small probably but any help I think would be good for both me feeling like I'm actually doing something (laughs) and you feeling like hey at least that's something that's happening you know yeah so Mm -hmm. that that was kind of good well I found it interesting that you know they were giving all this advice and everything and then we watched this birthing video and we watched three different births and I think it was like you know the natural unmedicated childbirth Mm -hmm. the epidural and then 
I don't remember what the third lady was. I think she used um, IV drugs, but not an epidural. Yeah. And it was just kind of to show you the different births and how they proceed and everything. And two of the people that were shown had their husbands with them. Mm-hmm. And the third person had her sister as her labor coach. Right. And I just found it really amusing because I feel like guys get kind of a bad rap That's when so. it comes to being a birth coach or whatever. Because... I've heard a lot of women say, well, they're men. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) You know, they've never been through this. (laughs) But I I think that it's unfair to just assume that just because you're a male, you're going to be of no use to me. That the only way that I could get through this is if I have another female there, regardless of if this person's ever given birth themselves. And it just amused me that of the three people, the girl was the least useful. Like, she was really irritating her sister. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of irritating you by extension. <laughs> well, yeah, because I felt like at least these guys were, you know, trying to do what they could to help their wives out. They seemed to utilize some of the techniques that you guys were being taught in our class. And <laughs> it's like they show the girl and she's rubbing her sister's stomach. Or she's like, don't touch me. So she starts rubbing her stomach again. I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> she's going to smack you if you don't stop. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. And it just shows or says to me that, you know, I don't think that it is a gender thing. I think it's a person thing, you know, like whoever is going to be the most comforting to you and the most soothing and calming is the person you should have there. Yeah. And I can't imagine that there's anybody else in the world that would be that besides you. Aw. (laughs) Well, I I hope I'm I'm soothing and calming to you. That's that's what I really want. Well, if you took anything from that class, it's when I say, don't touch me, don't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I took that and the word okay from the class. Oh, no. Oh, that was so annoying. Our instructor, okay, had this problem, okay, where every time she said anything, (laughs) she punctuated it with okay, okay. And And you pointed it out at the beginning of the class. What? I on, and I'm sorry for that, but honestly, I don't think we would have gotten much more than about 30 seconds farther before you noticed it because it was so obvious. That's true. We couldn't have kept a tally of it. I mean, seriously. I I, yeah, I don't know if you saw me, but I did try, um, and this is hours into the class, but I, I was just kind of, okay, I'm curious, how many times does she actually <laughs> punctuate something with okay? And it, I, mean, I didn't even do it for like, a minute and a half and I think I had probably 25 ticks on the paper and I'm like, I give up I can't I had to start blocking it out at one point because it was distracting I couldn't pay attention to what she was actually trying to get across to us right because all I heard was okay yeah so... why are you asking me if it's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're providing the information don't <laughs> don't ask me if it's correct <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope they have somebody that comes in occasionally and sort of audits these <sighs> these classes and, and can provide some constructive feedback on their public speaking <laughs> techniques because it, it was pretty tough to sit through. You know what worries me too is she's actually a labor and delivery nurse at that hospital. Like what if she is in the room when I'm trying to give birth and she's telling me to push, okay? Push, okay? 
I will <laughs> snap. <laughs> well, the, the the good news on that front is I did hear her talking between sessions, just sort of casually with a couple of the uh, other ladies that were in the class. It, it seemed like that her conversational speaking patterns didn't include the incessant okay. I think that was more of her lecture persona because it, it seemed more like it was her her version of um. Ah, uh, I see. You know, instead of saying um, she went with okay. And I think as humans, we, we tend to, we, we've at least have learned, English speakers have learned to tune out the ums that most people use. Yeah. Just because everybody uses it and it's sort of universal. So when anybody replaces that with something that's a little bit different, it stands out and is <laughs> very distracting. Like you said. And honey, you should know that I could never go. our birthing class on Saturday, then we had our 35-week appointment on Tuesday. We kind of had a list of questions to ask her, but as per usual, she was, I guess, dismissive is kind of the best word to describe her. She's kind of casual, I guess, about most of our concerns. Which is weird because if you do have a concern, she's always quick to order a test to figure out what's going on or prescribe you medication. (laughs) Right. Because I told her I was having a lot of pain walking, and rather than, you know, letting me know why I was having that pain, she was just like, yeah, we can prescribe you some, you know, Tylenol with coating if you want that. And I was like, well, that's not really what I'm looking for. I'll just keep taking baths, and it'll be fine. Yeah. So she, you know, listened to Kelly's heartbeat, said it was good, did the measurements and everything, and said, I'm going to start seeing you every week now, which we threw us off. <laughs> Yeah, because we thought that wasn't going to happen until after the next appointment in a couple of more weeks, right? Because that's what she had said at the last appointment, was that I'd have two more appointments that would be two weeks apart. And then at 37 weeks, she'd start seeing me weekly. And so, and at that time, I thought, well, that's kind of late to start seeing me weekly, but okay. Well, somebody over there has got to be confused as to how far along you actually are, because they keep doing the wrong tests and... <laughs> Uh, changing their mind on what you're supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be at. And I'm, I'm surprised anybody knows anything at this point. You know, going weekly now makes more sense than in two weeks. when you're Well, definitely, yeah. At that point, going to be, what, a week past full term. So might as well see you when you go full term. Yeah. So she measured my stomach like she does every time I come in. And I asked her if I was measuring accurately because I've been getting a lot of comments from people that I surely cannot have as much time left as I say I have because I'm going to have the baby right in front of them. <laughs> I've been asked if I'm sure about my dates. Not from doctors. <laughs> <laughs> from people I know. So I started to get a little self-conscious and I wanted to make sure because she never actually says out loud when she measures me where I am. Right. So I asked her if I was measuring accurately, and I told her why I was concerned. And she said, well, you're measuring about 36 weeks, but considering you're 35 weeks, three days, it's fine. She said, of course, most women, we recommend gain 25 to 30 pounds in a pregnancy, and you've surpassed that. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should do a size ultrasound to see how big the baby is. While you... uh... Recover from that particular re- reopened wound. Exactly. 
Although you didn't seem too broken up about her suggesting that you get another ultrasound, because I think you've kind of been a little bummed out that the ultrasound uh, thing was over as of weeks ago. I mean, that was the last last official one that you were supposed to have. So having a doctor order one this late, I think, was kind of exciting. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I like to see that she's okay, and them telling me they could estimate her weight at this point sounded pretty cool to me. So... She gave us the form for that. and You made a bunch more appointments. And... Yeah, we made the, re- the rest of our appointments for the entire pregnancy, which kind of blew my mind. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how you know you're getting toward the end, right, is when you're able to uh, wrap things up. There's, there's nothing more really to look forward to past a certain date. All right, it'll make the last of the appointments. And, uh, you know, it's like I was able to, to tell my work, like, okay, well, here's pretty much the last day that this could possibly happen and we're rapidly getting into that could be any time now stage of the game so yeah it's it's wrapping up when you can start talking in those sort of absolute terms although I was a little surprised when we talked to her about um, how long she would let me go past my due date before she would recommend inducing Mm -hmm. and she said that they don't want to go past a week and that seemed rather a short amount of time for me to go past the due date because I was under the understanding that most first-time pregnancies typically go past the due date, and I thought it was a two-week time period that you got to go. And because she doesn't do inductions on Fridays, I think the last date that she would do an induction is the 20th, which is only five days right. after her due date. And and honestly, I had thought she had said in an early appointment something about two weeks after the due date being, you know, the the longest that it would really go. Um, and maybe I'm misremembering that, but I, I had thought that that even she had indicated there was going to be potentially a longer window after the 15th hit. It's quite possible she did actually. Considering she they changed their mind on everything else. Yeah. <laughs> But, well, and, you know, the, I think the other thing, too, is because of that, you know, Thursday time limit that you were talking about, that also cuts a couple extra days off. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to talk to her about that again the next time we go in, because I'm not sure that y- either of us are particularly comfortable with them barging ahead with labor induction five days after a due date. Not that, you know, we want to risk anybody's health or anything like that, just so that it happens naturally, but it just seems like but that's kind of the point right is it should happen at least somewhat naturally right i mean i've just you know seen shows where the woman's like i am not getting induced no matter what and the doctor's like okay well it's two weeks past your due date and at some point um the placenta stops working so it becomes a danger to the baby and she's like nope i'm waiting until nature makes it happen and (laughs) when this baby's ready it'll come out and yeah. I'm not taking it to that extreme. It's just five days is not a very big window. Well, and the other thing that was a little concerning about that, too, is that, you know, later on we heard somebody say something about that the due date could potentially be the 18th. And so if you if that has any credence whatsoever, now you're talking about the 20th being the last possible day. That's anywhere from three to two or five to two days past the estimated due date. And that's really not a lot of no window for that, you know, for that to happen before you start medically intervening. And I think that it just feels very aggressive is the 
Yeah, that's what it is. Is it? it feels... Even if they were saying like, okay, well, maybe the Monday after would be the last possible time I could maybe get behind something like that and say, all right, well, that way, you know, we're talking about a minimum of like nine days or maximum of nine days and a minimum of whatever it is. Five. Telling me that, you know, I think I said, you know, I want to talk to you about induction. She's like, oh, yeah, you can schedule it now if you want. And <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not really what I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it's definitely something that will be brought up at the next appointment that we see her at because she's going to want to discuss the results of the ultrasound as well. So, yeah. And we don't see her next week. Because she's on vacation, that. so we're going to meet the other doctor in the practice. That's right. Who may or may not even be the doctor that delivers the baby, so. Put on and down from the moment I wake to the moment I sleep. I'll be there by your side. Just you try and stop me. I'll be waiting in line. after the OB had scheduled the ultrasound, we, we made that appointment for a little bit later in the week. We were able to get it scheduled for early in the morning so I could I could go ahead and be at the appointment and still make it to work on time. They wheeled you back there and the lady got carried away with the uh, ultrasound gel. <laughs> this is a bit much. <laughs> it was everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I know my stomach's big now, but it was everywhere. She was pretty liberal with it, and then she she had a hard time. I kept I kept looking and seeing it creep closer and closer to your shirt, which was just sort of lifted up to the top of your your belly. I just kept thinking that's that's gonna hit that shirt. I just know it. And I kept lifting the shirt to keep it out of her way, and I thought if I lift it any higher, I'm just gonna be flashing this lady. <laughs> well, and you know I. I I didn't even know whether I should like suggest maybe you just take that shirt off or you know like <laughs> I I guess she's just a technician not a doctor but I mean to a certain extent I mean I wouldn't have cared but I felt like at some point she should have just given me a hospital gown to wear yeah something and had everything out of her way because then it wouldn't have mattered if it got all goopy she because kinda... you have to realize at this point my my uterus is filling the space from right under my breastbone all the way to my pelvic bone so. Right. She had a lot of space and territory to cover. <laughs> a lot of surface area. So. Yeah. Well, plus she was having, there was more than one instance where she had a hard time finding what she was looking for, or, or at least getting a good angle on what she was looking for, and so she'd spread the stuff so thin that she'd have to reapply, and, you know, then it it is gel, but it's kind of, drippy in some cases so i it's just saw it pouring all over the place and just like man that's gonna be fun times to clean up it was kind of cool to be able to get one last ultrasound that we didn't think we were going to be able to see but I, I noticed a couple of things like first of all she in the previous ones because they were sort of interactive with the parents it was like the first time you were able to really get a sense of the realness of your baby they, they were very careful i felt like especially at the 20 week ultrasounds mm -hmm. to include both of us you know make sure that you could see what was going on they had like a second monitor um 
Because you can, you personally can always see what's going on because well, you I can move. face the screen. Right. I can reposition myself so that I can see. I, I could even stand up and walk and stand over their shoulder if I wanted to, but you're kind of stuck on the table. So if they decide to, you know, pull the machine up past where you're sitting or whatever, then you're kind of out of luck. And it's typically like that where the ultrasound machine is to your right up kind of by your head, yeah. but at an awkward angle. So in in the earlier ones, it's it felt like that they were, they made sure that you could at least see, even if they had to stop and sort of swivel things toward you so you could see mm-hmm. some of the steel stills that they had captured or whatever. But at this one, it it kind of felt like that you were, you know, they they the assumption was that you were aware of the baby's presence at this point. It if it wasn't real to you now, it wasn't going to be just from seeing yeah. the ultrasound. So it wasn't <laughs> that big of a concern at first to make sure that you had some sort of you know, visibility to the, the monitor or anything. So you seemed kind of, after a while, you you know, I mean, your neck was hurting from trying to crane over to see, and so you were kind of looking around to work the kinks out. And it was a little bit difficult to see anything anyway because at this point, Calliope is so big that the the scope that they use, it can't it can't capture all of her little body in its cone of visibility anymore. So it's like, you know, she cranks it all the way up over into one, you know, the top left corner of your stomach. And it's like, okay, there's a leg. And then she (laughs) cranks it down to the middle. And it's like, okay, there's like half a torso. And, oh, look, you can see the four chambers, the heart beating and everything. And then she cranks it way down to the lower right. And it's like, oh, and now you can see part of her head and one arm or something. And so you're always getting little snapshots of, bits of her but you can never really get the full the scope of the whole thing because at this point she's just way too big to do anything other than that so but you know i mean it was cool to be able to see like i said the the fullness of her heart working and Mm -hmm. uh, the triple check of her gender and there's (laughs) she did scare me at one point (laughs) right? because she was talking to me and she said so he blah 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 and i stopped her and i said excuse me yeah did you say he I think she was just using the generic pronoun he. Well, yeah. She hadn't looked, but it yeah, you you got a little tense and nervous <laughs> for a minute. Like, did you see something? <laughs> Are you sure? Why don't you go check it right now? <laughs> Although so to her credit, did. she did. So. Yeah, she checked for us and said, uh, "Yeah, if he was a boy, there'd be something there by now." So, yeah. it's a girl. <laughs> And again, I was able to see what I've seen three times now. Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> definite girl, girl parts. Yeah, yeah. I did find it amusing that you know all of this that she was doing, and it seemed to me like the way she was estimating her weight at this point was by taking measurements of different body parts. Yeah. So, like, she measured how long her leg was, or well, she would measure like like a, a specific leg bone. A specific arm bone she measured the spine from several different uh angles and they sort of i i the whole thing seemed to be calculating how long and how big the baby was based on these these length measurements and then what she would do is she would take for the the torso she did like a big uh, sort of oval shape around the basic outline of it from the the front and then as best she could from the side and rear so that she could sort of calculate the volume 
Oh, that's of, interesting. Of her, her torso, and then she tried to do the same thing with the head. <laughs> um, so she could get, like, a sense of how how big it was from multiple angles. Of course, the problem is she had difficulty getting a good shot of the head because her, fortunately, Calliope is turned the correct way and she is head down right now. Yes, that Un- is the good part. Unfortunately, it meant she had to dig into the underside of your belly <sighs> to get the uh, the shot that she wanted, and she was having such a tough time even getting the head measurements going. And then she decided she wanted to see the baby's face. And Calliope was not having that at all. <laughs> Well, she doesn't seem to like any sort of monitoring on her. Mm-mm. The few times that we've been into the uh, labor and delivery for, you know, you having contractions and stuff, whenever they put those fetal monitors on, she starts kicking like crazy. She gets mad. She doesn't even like getting her heartbeat checked. Yeah. So if you put the Doppler on her, she, she kicks and thrashes in there every time she's had an ultrasound since she's been big enough to move on her own and you know, have distinctive parts and everything. She's flailed excessively when, <laughs> when the ultrasound is going. So what, whatever it is that she senses in there when these things are happening, she's much more active and seems to be a little bit agitated when it's mm-hmm. going on. And she certainly was agitated while this was happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt her doing full-on turns in there, and it was rather uncomfortable well you could it see like it happening. fighting each other you could even see it unfolding you know it was like she the technician would get the ultrasound wand up in there press deep into your you know into your belly to try and see her and you would see calliope's hands come up in front of her face and then she would twist her head to try and like look away it was almost like you know somebody blocking the view of the paparazzi cameras, if, you know, <laughs> no comment kind of vibe that she had going on. And They were fighting each other, and I was in the middle of it, literally, <laughs> and it was not comfortable. Right, I remember you saying, like, okay, but can we not, can we stop fighting through me, you know, and I did, I, I was able to see, I, there was never a point at which she captured, like, a clear, unobstructed view of her face but there were plenty of moments where you were able to see like her nose and her mouth and she would sort of open and close her mouth and kind of stick her tongue out a little bit (laughs) every once in a while you catch like one eye looking out and blinking a little bit oh you saw her eyes open yeah oh that's cool she's definitely a little person in there and still don't have a good sense of what she looks like yet I, i guess that's good it's okay yeah i hope she's not like this with us taking pictures of her though (laughs) <laughs> just camera shy from the womb or something yeah <laughs> so they they wrapped it up and they i think she ended up estimating that she weighs six pounds uh-huh even because we had talked about uh i said before we went in you know what is your guess about how much she weighs right now and you thought she was gonna be shy of five pounds and i said six pounds and you were right and i'm glad yep. i didn't take that bet <laughs> you stole me five bucks from the last bet that's that true. you took that's true well I, I bought you a slurpee does that count four more slurpees and we're good okay. you thought you might be a ghost you thought you might be a ghost you didn't get to heaven but you made a close you didn't get to heaven but you made a close you thought you might I am big. It's the picture that got small.
you know, I knew I should have made a left turn at Albuquerque. That's entertainment. Got a couple more movies in the last since our last podcast. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about those. We saw Baby Mama <laughs> and Valkyrie. Completely different. So what did you think of uh, Baby Mama? It was cute. Yeah. I liked it. Um, I don't know if it's a movie that I would watch over and over and over again, but I wasn't disappointed in it. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was thought it was pretty good. I mean, I'm not a huge movie comedy fan in a lot of cases, but, uh, you know, I laughed out loud several times. It was predictable, I mean. Yeah. I think I predicted the ending before it happened. It was a little formulaic, you know, I mean, overall it was, it was kind of nice to see a comedy that wasn't a bunch of dudes being sort dudes. of, well, you know, sort of gross <laughs> or, right. you know, something that was like guy versus girl sort of romantic comedy kind of yeah, staple or whatever. And not that but it, it wasn't necessarily a chick flick either. Right. So it was, you know, it just happened to, it was just a, a comedy that happened to be center around pregnancy and stuff. I did feel like that some of the supporting cast was a little bit, I don't know, underused. Like who? Well, I mean, it had a pretty big cast for, you know, what sounded on paper, at least like a simple premise. But, you know, it had like Steve Martin in it. And did he have anything funny to do? I mean, he was sort of this weird hippie boss kind of guy, but the character itself wasn't funny. None of his lines were particularly amusing. And mostly he was just kind of weird and a little bit creepy almost. Yeah, that's true. Seemed like if you had a big name like Steve Martin, you should, I don't know, use him because he can be really, really funny and maybe not make him creepy or something. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who else was the supporting cast in that movie. Well, they had like that Dax dude that was Amy Poehler's boyfriend and he was kind of a one note character. Mm hmm. Then they had uh, even even like the love interest, you know, what I forget what his name is. He used to have a late night show, Greg Kinnear. Oh, he had a late night show? I think a long time ago he was uh, like the late, late show host or something like that. Did not know that. He was, I don't know. I mean, he, was, he wasn't really in it for long stretches of it because the primary relationship in the film was Tina Fey and Amy Poehler felt like any time they sort of went outside of that you know and then they had uh the woman that i recognized from other stuff i think she may have been in liar liar as the sister mm -hmm. you know she has like two scenes and you know, I mean, <laughs> she's a recognizable actress granted she did have one of the funniest parts of the, <laughs> the movie but <laughs> what if that had been poop <laughs> I don't know why that cracked me up so much. Oh, because it was so gross. Just her the... kid comes running up to her, covered in brown stuff, and she's like, is this poop or chocolate? And the kid doesn't answer, and so she licks his hands. <laughs> it's chocolate. Just the way that the Tina Fey delivered that. What if that had been poop? Just cracked me up. I don't know. It was fairly savage yeah. way to figure out what was on that kid's hands. You but... will not catch me doing that. <laughs> right i mean that's like a funny like thing that you could have done you know play it off of that and she was barely a factor in the movie then wasn't her mom somebody big oh i know it was the lady that ran the fertility or the uh surrogacy clinic was sigourney weaver and yeah like i guess she, she was, was supposed wearing to be, it too yeah i guess she was supposed to be funny or something i don't know it was, it was just a, a weird way to use like a-list 
actors, I thought, for whatever reason, but... That shows you Tina Fey's power in Hollywood. Yeah, I guess so. Although, if power in Hollywood was the uh, the deciding factor on how things got made, you'd almost think that uh, Valkyrie would have been a better thing, since isn't Tom Cruise like one of the most influential people? For whatever reason, yeah, I think he is. It's not because he's a stellar actor. <laughs> well, you, you actually liked Valkyrie better than I did, I, th- I think. I did, but I think it's because I didn't have high expectations going into it. If that... my expectations of a movie are fairly low, it ends up being a much better movie than I, <laughs> than most people would give it credit for at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, my biggest problem with the whole thing was that I felt like... Because, you know, I mean, after we had you had taken your history class and we had gotten talking a little bit about uh, World War II and stuff, and then I think we had caught a little bit of a thing on the on PBS about... World War Two and, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that was happening behind the lines in Germany during the the waning days of the war. And then I had gotten interested in the the story behind Valkyrie, and so I had jumped online and researched a little bit of the the story that Valkyrie was based on and the the July twentieth plot and all this stuff. So I kind of had a a bit of a more reference for what was happening, having just recently read a lot of this stuff, and I felt like they had they spent so much time in the movie setting up the key event which was the the actual July 20th plot and the assassination attempt itself and the the coup that they tried to to execute that while that was a little bit interesting it, it wasn't tense it, it didn't make for riveting drama in a lot of cases I think it's hard sometimes though in movies like that where you clearly know how it ends just based on history. But I, I mean, thought... you couldn't watch that movie and be like, oh, well, they may pull this off. No, and I understand that. But I thought that, you know, like like we talked about a little bit after it was over, we had also seen 13 Days, which was based on the Cuban Missile Crisis. And even though you know how that turns out, I felt like they had done such a good job in making it, you know, like a gripping movie, despite the fact that you know how it ended. It's like Apollo 13 was the same way. You knew how that ended. It ended well, but there were times when you're watching the movie, you almost forgot That's true. what you knew was true, and you were just sort of absorbed in the the drama of this movie. And I felt like that the only time that Valkyrie ever really attained that was in the sequence where they were actually following through with the plot, you know? And so, like, he... He drives into the base and he's got the bomb in there. He sets it up so that he can go in to a private quarter so that he can arm the bomb. And him and his you know, companion are sort of going back and forth about how they're going to execute the whole thing. And they've got the guy on the inside that's working in the communications room. And the, you know, the, the way that whole thing played out was just really tense. And I found myself kind of like on the edge of my seat. But that was such a small portion of a really really long movie it felt like yeah that i almost wish they had just made like a taut 90 minute movie that extrapolated that one sequence out with you know like just bookended it with like 10 minutes on either side of like here's a quick setup here's a quick epilogue and now the 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 bulk of the movie is this really great reenactment of you know what was in essence a very tense and uh, danger-wrought situation. So I thought we'd uh, quickly, before we run out of time on this episode, recap 
the uh, the next Food Network star, which we didn't get a chance to talk about in last week's episode. What I really wanted to talk about was the 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 cocktail party that they were supposed to throw in last week's episode in Miami. You were already kind of on leaning toward not really being a huge fan of Debbie, who was the one who kept reminding everybody that she was Korean. Right. And, you know, I mean, I thought she had her, her good points. And, yeah, I understood the, the complaint about her constantly saying the same thing. Um, but I... I I kind of jumped into the let's get Debbie off the show camp after the last episode because they had this this point at which, you know, each of them were supposed to come up with these appetizers and then they they set the tasks for everybody to do and ended up being the the three women that were left were in the the kitchen sort of supposed to be putting the appetizers together to bring out to the guests and then they had the uh uh, the guy Michael running the bar, and then they had the other guy Jeffrey sort of being the host and passing out the appetizers as they came up. And left in charge of the kitchen was Debbie because I guess she has catering experience. Mm-hmm. So she was supposed to kind of make sure that everything went out properly and that all the plates look good and expedite everything. Right, and, and since the 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 guys, even though they were in the front of the house their part of the challenge had been to actually create appetizers of their own. They had had to pass hand off their appetizers to some of the other, to some of the women that were in the, still in the kitchen, uh, putting them together. And somehow or other, even though there were three women in the back, only two of them ended up doing work for the, the guys appetizers and each right. of them had two of their own appetizers. Plus, one of the women had three because she had decided mm-hmm. to do a vegetarian one. So she ended up with, what, like five appetizers she was supposed to be doing? Yep. So she had five. The other girl had four. And the lady that was supposed to be in charge of the kitchen, Debbie, just had her two. And she spent the entire time working on her two. I don't think that I saw her help the other two ladies out once. Yeah, and you know, I mean, some of it could have been editing or whatever, but it, it just kind of was like, it, it, everybody seemed to know that there was a problem because you know they they made a big deal about how everybody was kind of grumbling in the party, like they didn't have enough food. There were people in the back who hadn't gotten anything to eat all night. Um, the, the two guys that were in the front were clearly aware of how little they were actually bringing out for people. To the, eat. the judges even made a comment at one point that it was like sharks whenever they brought a tray of food out, people would just descend upon them and clear the plate super quick and they'd have to go back and, you know, restock. Yeah. And they even, at one point, the judges even sent Bobby Flay to the back to go poke his head in and be like, hey, what's going on back here? um, So he goes back and he's just kind of like, hey, you guys need to start getting some food out. The natives are getting restless. You know, so they, they go through the whole thing and obviously... They got through it somehow, but I'm not sure how how successful it really felt to the people involved. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the elimination, and you know Debbie's standing up there with his sob story about how I'm doing the best that I can, and I was helping everybody. And I'm thinking, even if you thought that was true, why would you bring that up as sort of a way to differentiate yourself, right? Well, the other lady even called her out on it. The blonde lady, she was sure. like, yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you because you didn't do anything but your own two appetizers. 
I did five and Jamika did four. You did your two. So you... But that's what I'm saying is even if she thought that everybody had just done their own, you know, like the way she was presenting it was as if she had done something extraordinary. <laughs> and I'm thinking, except that you have to know that you did at best exactly as much as everybody else because they were all scrambling around trying to do the best that they could yeah given the restrictions of the challenge and she's acting like she's some kind of you know superstar for doing the bare minimum of the challenge or to the best of her knowledge at least an equal amount and i'm like okay (laughs) i i think that's about enough of somebody like that you know, me, me having any use for them, so. Especially since in the beginning of this season, it seemed that Debbie was complaining that people were kind of... Building themselves up when they wasn't really yeah, needed to. Yeah, she was one of the ones who was very uh, adamant that people be honest and have integrity and all this kind of stuff. I mean, she crawled all over those two guys that had sort of sold out the, the stay-at-home mom earlier on. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, well, now the shoe's on the other foot and you have no problem stepping right into that role. The shocking part of the entire episode was that she didn't get eliminated. Right, they actually kicked off uh, Michael. Who I thought did a fabulous job. Fabulous. Is that the perfect word for him or what? (laughs) I mean, he, he wasn't even really emceeing the event or anything. He was the bartender, but he stepped out from behind the bar and he helped talk the crowd and work the crowd. And I think he even went to the back at some point and helped get some appetizers out. And it was kind of shocking to me that he was the one that they picked. And I don't even remember what their reasoning was behind getting rid of him. Well, you know what I think really clinched it for him was when he was doing his little presentation to the judges for his appetizers. Um, He indicated like, this is my element. This is what I do. Um, I'm great with people. I just hate cameras. That's right. He actually said to them, I'm not so good in front of cameras. And And they they were like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, they looked at each other and were like, oh, well, that's kind of an unfortunate quality to have for a wannabe TV star. Yeah. Like, if he could get a live show on that food, on that channel, you know, like Guy has where he, the diners, drive-ins, and dives or whatever. If he could get a show like that where his entire thing is to just go out and talk to people, I think he'd forget that the camera was there. Yeah. Which is what he seemed to do in any of the live challenges. Right. I just don't think that he would work in a studio cooking. Yeah. He, it's it would, not his element. I mean, he could probably figure it out eventually, but it would it would take more time, I think, than they, they want to give to somebody that wins this particular yeah. um, prize at this point. And he needs to be able to feed off of somebody. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I wasn't too sorry to see him go i know that he played well with people in a lot of cases when they're in their in the one on the kind of crowd setting like you're talking about i i personally found his annoy his uh personality um and a lot of his characteristics kind of cartoonish and annoying i don't yeah look i'm not sad that he isn't going to be getting his own show on the the network i'm just disappointed that debbie didn't go first you were kind of a jerk this week, but we're going to keep you anyway. You get to keep going to the final four. Hopefully they'll narrow it down and get rid of Debbie next. And then it'll be between Jamika and Melissa, you said her name was? I think Melissa's her name, yeah. And I think Jeffrey is the other guy. And at this point, I'm pulling for Melissa. 
or Jamaica. I'd be happy with either one of them.